The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, I love that testimony from Andrea, and uh, I'll tell you, I think all of us can identify with the very thing she was going through. Maybe it might not be surgery, but it could be other difficulties in life. We face an awful lot of things where we need the assurance that Jesus is going to be with us uh, to see us through. And the 23rd Psalm does such a wonderful job at helping us navigate life. And today what we're going to see is that we can really go through life with tremendous confidence and we can approach the future instead of with fear, like Andrea talked about, instead of fear, there can be an awful lot of confidence that God will see us uh, through. Usually I'm really excited about a passage and I can't wait to get in it and it's, it's so much fun and... and um, and I know God will have to take me through it. This time, I just want to be real upfront. A lot of times, you might think we stand up here, we preach a passage, and this is what it means. I just want you to know this passage, I have had to lean on this passage uh, for the last week. I have, just, it, it, I have had to live every word of this passage this last week. So I just know I'm a fellow journeyer with you going through life and this passage has meant so, so much to me. So since this is the end of the 23rd Psalm, let's all honor God by standing. Let's read the entire Psalm together, Psalm of David, paying particular attention to the last verse, the verse that we will uh, spend today looking at. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, and we're going to be looking at that last verse. Surely, and it's the word tov, surely goodness and this translation says mercy, but it's a much bigger, it includes mercy, but it's much bigger than just mercy. Surely his goodness and it's the word chesed. It's covenant-keeping love. It's a very descriptive word. It's used numerous times in the Old Testament. And it includes his love, his grace, his mercy. So surely his goodness and his covenant-keeping love will follow me all the days of my life. So personal. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is an awesome verse because it teaches us how we can, in spite of many, many things that we face in life, whether it be surgeries or whether it be uh, starting school or maybe starting a graduate program or a new job or facing cancer or facing very difficult circumstances in life, that we can face the future with tremendous confidence. I can face it confidently, number one, because God is watching over me. And we're going to look at these individual words. So surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. That you can expect his goodness. 
And the word, word for goodness there, again, is used typically in the context of God's protection and his provision. In other words, he will uh, always be there for not only my good, the good of others, the good of his kingdom. God is good. He is watching over me. Psalm 145, 20, I, I love this verse. It says, the Lord, in the ESV, uh, it says, the Lord preserves all who love. Another version says, the Lord keeps all those who love. I like the NIV translation here. The Lord, for Shomir, the Lord watches over or stands watch, to, stands, to stand watch as a guard. The Lord stands watch as a guard over all who love him. He cares about the details of your life. And like a father, he will protect and provide for your future. I know it's a cliche, and we say it a lot, and, and I don't like cliches, and I'm sure you don't either, but the cliche goes like this. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And it tends to, eh, we don't like it, but boy, it is so true. We don't know what the future holds, but we absolutely know who holds the future. And the Lord will see us through. His goodness will follow us all the days of our life. Now, what does that mean? Obviously, David had a lot of disappointments in life. There, there were a lot of things that happened in his life that weren't good. Notice what this verse is not saying. It's not saying, surely only good things will follow me all the days of my life. It doesn't say, surely only good events will follow me all the days of my life. There's an, another branch of Christianity who I think would grossly misinterpret this and say, surely only health and wealth will follow those who trust God all the days of their life. Folks, it is just wrong. It is just not true. The Bible does not teach that. It says, surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. There are a lot of in in our minds, we would call bad things, evil things that happen to very good people. I mean, you look at David, you look at Paul, there were some tragic things that happened to David that happened uh, to Paul. He's not saying that only good things will happen to you. He is saying that goodness will follow in other words, goodness will flow out of the sovereignty of God that comes out of whatever might happen. Even things that on the outward appear bad or evil or painful or hurtful or difficult. You see this in David's life and Paul's life constantly. God ensures that good will come out of it no matter what happens. This, the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 8, 28. For we know that for those who love God, all things will work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is a promise for God's children that all things will work together for good. Goodness will follow. It doesn't say that all things are good. Again, um, there's no difficulty or defeat or dilemma or disaster in the life of a Christian that ultimately God cannot bring good out of. And we can count on that by faith. Often it's difficult to see God's goodness when you're in the midst of pain, when you're in the midst of suffering, 
when you're in the midst of going through something like cancer, when you're in the midst of going through an extremely hard or difficult trial or tragedy. Uh, it's oftentimes very hard. It was hard for the Apostle Paul when he had that thorn in his flesh that he prayed to be removed, but God wouldn't do it because God wanted goodness to come out on the other side of it that he does talk about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Even Jesus uh, said on the cross, my God, my God, why? Was the cross good? Were the floggings good? Was the unjust trial good? No, they were, ev they were evil, horrible things that happened. But goodness followed. Goodness came out of what Jesus went through. It's the whole message of the gospel. Paul was falsely imprisoned by Rome. He was falsely imprisoned by Rome because of a lie. They lied about him. Uh, he was a Roman citizen, and, the, and they put him in, in jail, in prison, in spite of that, that he was a Roman citizen, unjustly tried, unjustly held, unjustly tortured. I mean, was that good or was that evil? That, it was evil stuff, but God brought goodness, followed all those terrible things. Guess what he did while he was in prison? He wrote a few letters. We call those letters the bulk of the New Testament. Goodness followed his imprisonment. So Psalm 145 again says, I will, like, like a guardian, watch over all who love me. What are the methods that God uses to watch over us? I'm just bringing it up because normally as believers, we don't even think about it, but it's talked about over and over and over in the scriptures from the beginning all the way to the end. God will use angels. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. We normally don't talk about it because it's not like we sit down and have breakfast with them. We don't see them. They don't wake us up and bring us coffee. Uh, nothing like that. But angels guard us. First of all, they guard us from harm or injury. You see that in Daniel 6 when he keeps the mouths of the lions closed. Or you see it, for example, angels restraining evil in 2 Kings chapter 6. I love the story of Elijah and his servant when the Syrian army were going, going to kill Elijah. And... Uh, the servant was scared to death, and Elijah prayed, God, would you open my servant's eyes so that he can see? And he opened his servant's eyes, and he saw the mountains surrounded, you know, by, by angels, by the armies of heaven. So that is Psalm 91. God will command his angels concerning you. So angels are there to protect us, Angels are there, on the other hand, to pour out God's wrath. You see that in Revelation. So they're the messengers of God. Or they're there to guard us in the midst of dangerous circumstances. You see that in Acts 27 when the Apostle Paul was on a ship in, in the middle of what I would call a hurricane. And obviously the, the ship was being destroyed. All were going to die. And the angel made it very clear that uh, nobody on the ship was going to die. They guard against despair or discouragement. You see that in Revelation 2 and 3. You see it in Romans 8. Even though in the midst of this creation, we know that the creation groans to be released from the curse. In that very same chapter, he talks about 
all things will work together for good, even though we live in a world that groans under uh, the curse, seeking to be released from that curse. So the point is this, David, Paul, both of them, we see specific examples in their lives where they had guardian angels working with them, uh, ministering to them, but even in spite of those guardian angels and God's promises to them, it was very clear that uh, in the sovereign providence of God, God allowed some extremely difficult times to affect both Paul and David. They went through some very, I would use the word from our perspective, evil, some very evil, hurtful things. So even though God in his providence allowed them, the one thing that you can count on is that God will always be with you through the adversity. He doesn't exempt you from adversity, unlike what some theologies would try and convince you of. He doesn't exempt you from the difficult times, but he does absolutely promise to walk with you through the adversity so that goodness will follow you all the days of your life. Otherwise, there would have been no reason in the 23rd Psalm to say, yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. He's not exempting you from difficult times. He's saying, I will be with you through them, and he will bring goodness out of it. So because of that, because by faith I can count on that, I can have confidence of the future, not only for me, uh, but for uh, people I know, people I pray for, my family. I can count on that by faith that God's goodness is watching over me. Secondly, God's grace is working in me. Uh, it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Again, mercy is that big word, chesed, his covenant-keeping love, which would include his grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's an acrostic for grace. It's a great definition of it, his riches at Christ's expense. In other words, Jesus will give us what we need, not what we deserve. But it also includes, and this is the word most translations use, the word mercy or love, and that is that God doesn't give us what we do deserve. Because all of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short. We all stumble. We all fall. We all bloat. We all make mistakes. Look at the Apostle Paul. Look, look at David. We desperately need his mercy. We need his forgiveness. We need his pardon. We need his healing. And you understand God's grace and mercy uh, when you understand that God's not trying to get even with you. See, for, for an enemy, if something, if something bad were to happen to me and it was done by an enemy, I would think, oh, they're trying to get even with me. They're trying to get back at me. They're trying to punish me. But it, it's exactly opposite with God. Even though something, even though I were to walk through a valley of the shadow of death, a difficult time, for me, if I think, oh, God's trying to get back at me or evil with, even with me, means I don't understand God's chesed, 
his covenant-keeping love. I don't understand his grace or his mercy. So as a believer, don't ever get in the position where if, if there's something you've gone through, all of a sudden, gee, oh boy, I, I'm sure it's because God's getting even with me. No, no, no. Surely, go back to that verse 6 of Psalm 23. Surely, his goodness, his tov, his chesed will follow me all the days of my life. One of the verses that I love that gives a wonderful picture of his covenant-keeping love, his grace, his mercy. My wife gave me a living Bible back in 1973. It was the first Bible ever gifted to me. I still have her little note in there. It was before we got married. Um, and I underscored Psalm 103. It's a wonderful picture. Read it yourself. It's a wonderful picture of this love, of his grace, of his mercy. Let me just read a part of it. I will not forget the glorious things God does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals me. He ransoms me from hell. He surrounds me with, and it uses that word again, his loving kindness. He fills my life with good things. He's merciful. He's tender. He's tender toward those who don't deserve it. He's slow to get angry. He never bears a grudge. He hasn't punished us as we deserve for our sins. For his mercy is as great as the height of the heavens. Also in this verse, it talks about, in this passage, it talks about he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. He's like a father to us. He's tender. He's sympathetic to those who reverence him. I, I remember, you know, years ago, back in 1973, underscoring, I, I almost brought the Bible. I went down, and I got it, I opened it up. There's my underscoring of that, of that psalm. But then, I'll tell you what hit me. It, it hit me so strongly that that's exactly what God wants to transform us into. That's why he allows us to go through some very difficult times is because he wants to build into our lives that same kind of love, that same kind of grace, that same kind of mercy as we deal with other people. So let me just ask you, are you there when you read Psalm 103? Has God gotten you to the point where you can treat others with loving kindness? Are you merciful? Are you tender, even with those who don't deserve it? Do you get, are you slow to get angry? Do you never bear a grudge? Do you not punish as people might deserve for their sins? Is your mercy as great as the height of heavens? Are you tender? Are you sympathetic? So you take that same passage and say, boy, that's the kind of love and mercy and grace God wants to develop in my life. Can you trust God for that in you? Um, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, find grace to help in time of need. It's about a week ago, maybe 10 days ago, we had eight, uh, thir 13 people, I think about 13 or 18 people in our home, just relatives, that had um, eight grandkids running around. Just two nights ago, we were at Johnny and Jesse's house, and there were seven grandkids in the house. And 
I'm a little bit obsessive compulsive and with that many grandkids running around the house, guess what I'm doing? I am constantly going around cleaning up little messes. Constantly. I mean, there's food constantly on the floor and I'm you know, scraping up. Two days ago, it was rice. You know, it, sometimes it's toys. Sometimes it's poop. Sometimes it's dirty this or dirty that or this out of place or that out of place. And none of the grandkids are doing it because they are thinking, oh, I'm going to drive people nuts. None of them are thinking that. It's just because they're immature, because they're young, they leave messes. And because I want to, because I love to, I love following them around, cleaning up their little messes. That's what God does for us. That's his mercy. That's his grace. He constantly follows us around cleaning up our little messes. Most of the time, we're oblivious to it. Sometimes God in his grace pulls his hands back and reveals to us what we're doing. And we go, oh my, oh my, you know, I've got to confess, I've got to repent, I've got to ask forgiveness. And I think the older we get, the more mature we get, God pulls his hands back because he wants us to become more and more conformed to his image. But a lot of the times, because we're not there yet, he just goes behind cleaning up our, our mess. Um, if he were to show us and confront us with everything wherever we fall short of his glory, if he did that immediately, let me tell you, we would all incinerate instantly. There would be nothing left to us. We would just burn up, just boom, gone. But that's the process of sanctification. Mercy, grace, his mercy will follow us. Notice what it says. His mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. Did you get it? His goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. Not some of the days, not just the days that I'm in control, but all of the days. Yeah, there, there are a few days I'm pretty happy. But there are also some days when we could be very sad. There are days where we could be sick, depressed, lonely. There's some days that we might even wonder if life is worth living. But the text says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, even the days when I might feel totally worthless. And you say, Jeff, how can you be so sure? And I would just say, because God doesn't lie. And you might say, but, but Jeff, j just suppose you get on that operating table and the surgery doesn't go well. Or, or suppose the cancer does come back. Or suppose I don't pass. Suppose I do get fired. Suppose I do flunk. Suppose uh, my kids don't follow my, my will. Or suppose the floods do take my home. I would say the purpose of the psalm is to get us to stop supposing and start reposing. God's goodness is going to provide and protect. His mercy is going to pardon 
and forgive and restore. His goodness is going to supply. His mercy is going to soothe. His goodness is going to help me. His mercy is going to heal me. I think that's why Tim Keller, in his, or Philip Keller in his book on the 23rd Psalm, says that goodness and mercy are like these divine sheepdogs that constantly nip at our heels to keep us in the flock of God so that we do not fear the future. I can have confidence because God's watching over me, because grace is working in me. Thirdly, because heaven is waiting for me. The entire Psalm 23 ends with a phrase of our eternity. It ends with the perspective that we are to have for all of life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's one of the most most important conjunctions in the entire Bible because it connects yesterday with today with tomorrow. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this isn't home. This isn't home. Even though we have a tent that's an earthly home, even though that tent's destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Someday, folks, your body is going to end. You will die, but it will not be the end of you. God designed us. We're created in the image of God, and we were designed to live forever. And every person will live forever in one of two places. We will either live forever in heaven or we will live forever in hell. Everyone will live forever. Both are very real places. Your body's going to die, but you will not cease to exist because you were designed to last forever. So the truth is, you're really not ready to live until you're ready to die. Only a fool would go through all of life unprepared for that one thing that everybody knows is inevitable. So, the Apostle Paul says in chapter 5, we are always of good courage. Because we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body. We would rather be at home with the Lord. That's why David ends the psalm, and, and, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like. The Bible gives us a few pictures of what it's going to be like. I'll tell you some of the artist's uh, renditions of what heaven's going to be like. I'm not particularly attracted to it. I mean, I'm not going to wear some white sheet sitting on a cloud with some anemic wings, playing a harp, looking like I've got a bad case of cellulitis. I mean, to me, that's more like hell than heaven. Um, I don't think that's what heaven's going to be like. I mean, when I look at the, God's creativity and, and the things that I enjoy, you know, things like baseball and football and skiing and race car driving and fly fishing and motocross and, and uh, uh, 
tractor pulls, stuff like that. I think heaven can't be sitting around on a cloud playing a harp. You know, it's going to be way better than that, way better than that. But I do know this, that we're going to be released from pain and sorrow, suffering, depression, fear. Revelation 21 says he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain anymore. The former things have passed away. And you think, well, David in the psalm is saying, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Who's going to get to be there? In the same Bible, I had it out, so I began to look at some of these verses in, in the first Bible that I read it in. First uh, Peter chapter 1 says this, that God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. In other words, um, everybody, everybody was created by God. Everybody was created in the image of God, but uh, not everybody is a child of God. You get to be a child of God when you ask him by faith to place you into his family. And that happens when you acknowledge that you're in need of him and you are, there's another passage that uses the word born again. You're actually born again into God's family. That's who gets to be in. It's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And God, in his mighty power, will make sure that you get there safely to receive it because you are trusting him, not trusting yourself. You're not the master of your fate, uh, the captain of your soul. He is. He, he's the one that you're trusting to get you there. So David is saying, things are going to be a little rough down here for a while in the 23rd Psalm. He says, there are going to be valleys, there are going to be shadows, there's going to be death, there's going to be enemies, but God's goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and one day you're going to get to be with the Lord forever. So he ends this Psalm helping us to change our perspective on life. All he's saying to us is, look, earth is sort of a warm-up act. This isn't the big deal. And yet, the, I think the problem is, for, for most of us, is that we end up going through this life thinking it really is the big deal. This is the big event. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, look, we're only visitors here. Heaven is our real home. We're, we're visitors here. So I think as believers, we need to maybe pause once in a while and ask ourselves, are we really acting like, like that? Like heaven is our real home? Are we really acting? Does most of our attention and thought and everything else go into, no, this is a real home? I think we spend an awful lot of our lives acquiring and accumulating and getting. One day we're going to die, we're not going to have any of it. Um, you know, the ultimate purpose in life is not just seeing how much we can get. The ultimate purpose in life really is preparing us to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. Ultimately, that's our greatest purpose. Now, let me make it real clear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that we shouldn't enjoy life here. I am not saying that at all. I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy it. Please don't misunderstand me. All I'm saying is this life isn't our goal. It's fine to enjoy this life. It's fine to go to a baseball game, a football game, go fly fishing or uh, go to a dance, or, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't say that, but uh, for most of us, that's okay, too. Uh, 
you know, those things are fine. It's just, it's just not the ultimate goal. We just need to keep the ultimate goal in mind. And you might say, well, Jeff, I'm just not sure I'm good enough to get there. Well, let me assure you, you're not good enough to get there. That's the whole message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is you're not good enough. That's why it has to be a gift. That's why Jesus came to, to show us the way, to pave the way, to pay the price, to pay our redemption price. He buys us out of the slave market of sin, frees us to life with Christ. That's why David closes the psalm, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I know you might say, but Jeff, what, what if I sin after I become a Christian? And I would say, what do you mean, if? Are you kidding me? You, you absolutely will. But surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of life. When you become a Christian, you put your hand in the hand of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ holds that hand. Let me tell you, he'll, you, you're, you heard it at Andrea's testimony earlier, right before the message, how she said she holds Jesus' hand and he's not going to let me go. Whether I wake up in heaven or if I wake up here, he's not going to let me go. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. So you become a Christian. You put your hand in the hand of Jesus. There will be times in your life here on earth where you think, well, that was the stupidest thing I ever did. I'm not even sure I believe in Jesus. He's just going to sit there holding your hand. There are going to be times when you're going to want to take your hand out of the hand of Jesus. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never let that hand go. Once I've paid that price, you didn't earn it anyway. There's nothing you can do to get your hand out of it. I'm holding on to your hand. The very thing that I've started in your life, I am going to bring it to completion. I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. God's goodness and mercy will keep you. You've got a couple of choices. On the one hand, you can be a doubter, a cynic without Christ. You can navigate your own life as best you can. You can try and be the master of your fate. You can try to be the captain of your soul. But I'll tell you what, it will end in hell. The other option is to let the Lord be your savior, your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's the other option. And if he is your option, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The 23rd Psalm, every psalm in the Psalter finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Every psalm. And so if I could take the seven weeks that we've used to go through the 23rd Psalm, summarize it in one sentence, and Andrea already gave it to you. She already said it in her testimony. If I could summarize the 23rd Psalm, I would summarize it like this. Jesus is all you need. You don't need anything else. That's it. That's a summary. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for all of us. We're going to sing a song that really captures this. And then I want to give you an opportunity. Many of you are in different, going through different things. We just, since we're closing out the 23rd Psalm, we want to give you a time to pray. There are going to be some elders up here. Andrea is going to come up here. Some of you ladies would like to pray with a lady. We'll have some ladies up here, some guys up here if you want to pray. Maybe you're going through a very difficult, hard time in life. 
And right now, it, it's like, wow, I don't really see the goodness of God. This isn't good, what's happening to me. Can I, how can I trust God so that goodness will follow? Pray with me. Help me. I had somebody pray with me after the first service. I needed prayer. And I talked to a guy. I said, this is what I'm struggling with. And he prayed with me. So you might be, I invite you. Maybe you're going through a hard time. You need to see the goodness of God. You need to believe that goodness will follow. I need help there. Maybe you're here and you have a hard time believing Psalm 103. But God could love you just as you are, exactly where you are, going through what you're going through. That you can believe that he can forgive you of your sin, that you can believe that he can remove your sin as far as the east is from the west and remember it no more. Maybe you're struggling with that or maybe you're struggling with having that same attitude toward other people. Or maybe... You just feel like you're, you're stuck living this life here on earth. And really, this is the ultimate vision of your life, is living it right here, right now. And you really have very little vision of the future, living your life for eternity. And maybe you'd like for somebody to pray for you for that. Well, let me pray. Let's all stand up. I'm going to close in prayer. We'll sing a song. And then as people exit, if you would like somebody to pray for you, you come forward as everybody else goes that way. Okay, let, let's, let me pray together. Just with your heads bowed, with your eyes closed. You know, if you're here this morning and you know the shepherd, just like Andrea talked about in her testimony earlier, that you really don't have any need to fear anything. You don't need to fear surgery or poverty or loneliness or, or failure or the future. You don't even need to fear death itself. God, we learned in the 23rd Psalm that God is beneath you in green pastures. He's beside you in the still waters. He's with you in the valley. He's around you in the presence of your enemies. He's upon you, anointing your head with oil. He's before you, leading you in the paths of righteousness. He's following you with his goodness and his mercy. He's even beyond you in heaven and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What more could you want? Jesus is all you need. And the good shepherd wants to give you all that provision and protection and peace and paradise. If you're here this morning and if you've never put your faith and trust in this good shepherd who died on the cross for you, today is the day to do it. Don't put it off any longer. Open your heart in faith. Allow Jesus Christ to be your Savior, to be your shepherd. If you invite him into your life, he'll, he's going to come in and save you and be your shepherd. You can invite him in just saying something simple by faith in your own heart, saying something like, God, I know that you love me. I know that you died on the cross in my place for my sin. I just want to put my faith, my trust in your provision of Jesus. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my shepherd. So Father, our hearts shout with praise to you for all you are, for your provision, for your watch care over us. We want to thank you for teaching us the truth in this very impactful song. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.